Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's service. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and today we're going to be focusing on the theme of hope. I just want to let you know that our Christmas Eve service is going to be online this year, so watch for that. That's it for now. Enjoy the rest of your service. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. She was growing into a teenager and was living then in the obscure village of Nazareth in Galilee. She gathered the grain during the day and tended the lamp laid into the watches of the night. Her father knew the dedication of her work her mother the kindness of her heart, her friends the curve of her smile. She stood on the threshold of womanhood. Among all the girls in the village, she had been noticed, chosen, betrothed, a child bride before whom lay only possibility. Her father could walk with pride in the city gates. Her mother could rest in the comfort of her daughter's future security. But then he came, unexpected, unannounced, spoke openly and without shame of pregnancy, virginity, and a son. Things men never discussed, and women only whispered about behind closed doors. She questioned him about the particulars, but not about the promise. She knew the prophecies, and the angel's words rang true. She would be scorned and rejected, labeled an adulteress in whispers and glances. There would be no more carefree walks to the market, no more happy trips to the well. Four hundred years her people had waited for hope, but God had been silent. Now he had spoken. The wait was about to end. Forty weeks, and then Emmanuel, God with us.
1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sick is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Hello, everyone. Back in February, when COVID was first significantly impacting Europe, we watched as countries such as Italy went into full lockdown. Many of us were inspired as Italians came out onto their balconies and began to sing, joining one big chorus. Even though people were isolated from one another, they found a sense of hope by making the most of their situation because they believed that this short-term pain would result in long-term gain. But that was February. Fast forward about eight months later, and Italy was being hit by a serious second wave. Instead of seeing pictures of Italians serenading us from their balconies, we witnessed instead as some of them participated in protests and clashes with police. What happened in Italy is an illustration of the impact that COVID has had on our world. Why has there been such a dramatic change? Well, experts call it COVID fatigue. COVID fatigue. People are tired of being cooped up for so long. They're tired of being careful for such a long period of time. They're tired of being scared for this long. Fatigue is even making some people careless, resulting in surging numbers even in our area. It appears as if hope has turned to despair. What is it that causes people who are filled with hope and anticipation to lose hope and become consumed with despair? Well, I would suggest that the answer to that question is time, time, specifically delay, 
Delay is the enemy of hope. When too much time transpires between having hope and seeing your hope realized, despair has a tendency to replace your hope. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and the theme that we are focusing on today is hope. For hundreds of years, the nation of Israel waited for their hope, their Messiah, their salvation to appear. Generation after generation attempted to instill hope in the next generation. But time passed, and the delay in the waiting caused many to become frustrated and to lose hope. Our scripture today marks the moment when the darkness of despair is once again filled with hope because of a long-awaited announcement. Today, we are going to consider the angel's announcement to Mary that the moment for the coming of the hope of Israel, the Messiah, had arrived. And we will be reminded today, do not lose hope when God's promises seem delayed, because God always keeps his promises. Let's begin today by considering the despair. Luke begins the first chapter by telling us that Caesar Augustus is the emperor of Rome at the time of Jesus' birth announcement, that Herod was the king of Judah ruling on Augustus' behalf, and that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Now, Julius Caesar was seen and acknowledged in Rome as a god. Caesar Augustus, as his son, was seen and worshipped as the son of a god, the savior of Rome, if you will. The overriding policy during his reign was Pax Romana, peace in Rome, at any cost. Now, while there was an absence of revolt and rebellion, personal peace was lacking, especially for the people of Israel. Luke informs us that Augustus required a census. He's not interested in the collection of demographic statistics to better understand his kingdom or his people. His purpose is to increase the tax burden on his people and to determine how many fighting men there were to help him keep the people suppressed. The Jewish people were under domination. They despised the Romans. They despised the oppression of being ruled by these outsiders. In addition to the despair imposed by these brutal outsiders, there was a despair even more profound within the spiritual realm of Israel. A nation whose whole identity and purpose revolved around the one true God being central to their lives and their faith. Spiritually, things were very dark. Many in the priesthood were corrupt. They had exchanged compassion, leadership, spiritual direction with power, wealth, and pretension. Their covenant with God that was once rooted in relationship is now controlled by legalism that is too heavy for any of them to bear. They longed for their Messiah to come, to liberate them, to restore Israel, and to bring hope. In their despair, there was a glimmer of hope that there was one coming that would change everything upon his arrival. Is it possible 
that they would see this long-awaited hope of Israel in their lifetime? So much time had transpired. So much hope had been lost. Would God ever fulfill his promise? Secondly, let's consider hope. After years of longing, years of waiting, years of hoping, suddenly, in a moment, something happens that will forever change the course of history. The announcement that the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel, the Savior, was about to arrive. There were a number of unexpected and perhaps even unusual realities that accompanied this announcement. The angel Gabriel arrived on the scene to make the long-awaited announcement. His announcement was not made in the nation's capital of Jerusalem. The announcement was made in the village of Galilee in Nazareth. An insignificant place, a suspect place, a fishing village that caused people to ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The announcement wasn't made to the religious elite serving in the temple system. It was made to an unmarried teenaged girl who was engaged to be married. She was scared and afraid. But the angel told her, fear not, God is with you. God has chosen you and it's going to be okay because God is fulfilling his promise and you, Mary, are going to be a part of it. The angel told her that she would become pregnant and give birth to a son, not just any son, but the son of God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God promised David through the prophet Nathan that his throne, David's throne, would last forever. The divine and eternal king of Israel would reign forever on this throne. The angel told Mary that this boy, this baby, would be the one who would sit on the throne of David. He was the long-awaited hope of Israel. It had been a long time coming, but hope had arrived, and the long-awaited promise of God was about to be realized. Thirdly, obedience. This was a lot of information for Mary to process. There were things about the announcement that seemed, well, impossible. If this announcement was true, it would have a significant impact on her life. She was a virgin. How was pregnancy even possible? Well, the angel explained that the pregnancy would be the result of a miracle, that the Holy Spirit would hover over her and create the child in her womb. Now, the language used here is the exact same language that is used in Genesis in the creation account where we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the darkness, the void, the chaos, and bringing forth life where life didn't exist before. This was complicated on every level. She was engaged to be married. Only two things in this culture could break an engagement. The first was death, which would make her a widow, and second was divorce. Becoming pregnant would be a serious issue, to say the least, for this teenage unmarried girl. In this culture, she could be stoned to death if they deemed that she was unfaithful to her engagement vows. Pregnancy would bring shame 
It would bring shame on her. It would bring shame on the one she was engaged to, Joseph. It would bring shame on her family and his family. Everyone would believe that she was immoral, an adulteress. She would be rejected even by her community. Being chosen by God to participate in his plan would come at great personal cost to her. Yet, she doesn't seem to hesitate. After she heard all the angel had to say, she responded with these words, I am God's servant. In other words, my life is his to use as he pleases, regardless of the personal cost to me. I'm okay with everything you have said. Bring it on. There are two observations that I would like to draw from our scripture today. The first one is cost. I believe that there are Christians out there who use the word favor and blessing recklessly, declaring that we can claim all the good things that this life has to offer because of our great personal level of faith that has earned us access and entitlement to all the best things that are available in this world. They frame the words favor and blessing like they're handed this sack, a large sack, and are told to walk down the aisle of a department store and claim anything and everything and just put it in the bag because they're entitled to it because they're blessed and highly favored. Well, I, on the other hand, have come to the conclusion, based on my own life and ministry experience, as well as reading the Bible, that being a part of what God is doing always comes at great personal cost. Jesus himself said that if we want to find true life, we need to lay down our lives, surrender ourselves to the values and priorities of the kingdom of God. God's redemptive plan for the world came at great personal cost to Jesus. God's plan for Israel's hope came at great personal cost for Mary and Joseph. God's plan to advance his church came at great cost for the apostles and those who were part of the early church. God's plan for Israel in the Old Testament came at great cost to Joseph for him to become the prime minister of Egypt. It came at great personal cost. Now, I could go on and on with example after example, but my point is simply this. Being a part of what God is doing will always come at great personal cost. If we want to bring hope to the world that is experiencing hopelessness and despair, and I believe our world is, we will need to surrender our lives to God and be willing to pay whatever it costs us personally to do so. Bringing hope to this world will not come cheap. It will cost you. It will cost your money. It will cost your time. It will cost your training, your experience. It may cost you your dreams and your goals. When God taps you on the shoulder and says to you, I have a plan to bring hope to this world. This is what I need from you. Now I know it's gonna come at great personal cost, but are you in? Are you in? How are you gonna to respond to that question? I hope we can all respond like Mary. Despite the great personal cost, God, my life is yours. 
Use it as you please, regardless of the personal cost to me. I'm okay with everything that you're asking of me. Bring it on. Folks, hope is expensive. Second, waiting. Waiting is hard. Well, at least I, I know it is for me. Uh, can I be honest today? Sometimes I lack patience. Sometimes I even pray, God, give me patience and give me patience right now. Waiting is especially hard when minutes turn to hours and hours turn to days and days turn to weeks and weeks turn to months and months turn to years. Some of us have been waiting for a long time. Not waiting for something insignificant, but waiting for God to fulfill a promise that we believe that he has made to us that really matters to us. It has huge impact for us. Some of us have been praying a long time. Some of us have been weeping a long time. Some of us have been watching for a long time. We may have started out with great hope, confidence, but time has been the enemy of our hope. Perhaps some of us have lost hope. We've given up. Maybe we've even stopped believing. Perhaps some of us are clinging to the last thread of hope that is left. Perhaps the circumstances of your life that have unfolded in such a way that you believe that God's promises are no longer possible for you. May I remind all of us today that God's timing most often does not align with ours. I want it to, but I've noticed that it's most often not the case. May I remind all of us today that God is often at work, but we can't see it, so we assume that he isn't at work at all. May I remind all of us today that God is faithful and that he will keep his promises and in his time and in his way and that we'll only need to help him with those promises if and when he asks us to. Otherwise, we put our trust in him and we wait. We wait. I want to conclude today by reminding you what I said at the beginning. Do not lose hope when God's promises seem delayed because God always keeps his promises.
Thank you for joining us today. If we can be of assistance to you, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. You can email us or call us and we'll be prompt to respond to you as best we can. God bless you and have a great week.